Good morning. It's great to see you guys here. We are concluding our series, our core value series, and we've been in a conversation about the core of why we do what we do here at Genesis. And if you haven't been a part of this, um, you can go online and go over these things if you're curious about what things determine how we make decisions, why we make the decisions we do. It all has to do with these core values that we have. And so today, our final value is that symbol. And in each of these, we've been using this metaphor to help us connect, even as the environments around us determine how we live, there are spiritual environments that are soul environments that help us determine how we live spiritually. And so today is is about the earth. And the idea is character. Creativity is the natural result of spirituality. And you would be amazed how this specific value gets the most resistance. You would think it would be the relevance to culture is not optional. You would think more people would be, you know, kind of, that's controversial. It's not about the culture. You know, the church isn't supposed to be influenced by culture. And we talked about that last week, how it doesn't begin with culture. It begins with God, and God invades the culture, but he invades the culture as it is. But that's not the one that gets the most resistance. It is this one. Because when people hear the idea of creativity and spirituality, for some reason there is a disconnect. And when we think of creativity, you might think, well, I don't, you know, play an instrument or I can't, you know, paint or I'm not artistic. And we miss the point again of this idea of what creativity is. But it's real important that we understand why this is here. And just in quick review to to go over the things that we've talked about, our first core value was that of wind. And it was that mission is why the church exists. Jesus sent his disciples out. We are following in those steps. The whole purpose of the church is to be the expression of God to the world. And if we don't go, we're not fulfilling our purpose. It is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so that is why the church exists. And so if we are here and if we're going to have a meeting in our leadership and we're going to talk about doing something, we want to know, does this fit in with our mission? Is, Is this what we are on mission for? Is it why we exist, because mission is why the church exists. And then we talked about love being the context of all mission, and water was the metaphor for that. And just as water can quench our thirst, love is what everybody needs. And if we don't do what we do because of love, then we are missing the point. And so if there's something that we want to do, is it motivated by love? Or is it politically motivated? Well, if it's politically motivated, guess what? We probably aren't going to do it because it has to be motivated by love. Now, can it be motivated by love and then be a political theme? Sure, I guess. But the whole point is love is what is going to propel us. Love is going to be why we do what we do. And if it's not 
founded by love, then we're going to make the decision, well, maybe we won't do that. Why? Because it doesn't come across as we're representing God in a way, because God is love. And then we talked about the metaphor wood, that structure must always submit to spirit. And we saw the illustration of Jesus giving, you are the branches, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we talked about how that you was plural and that we are connected to one another and that the way God works is through people. God doesn't work through organizations, he works through people. Now, if the people make up the organization, then you get how it's connected. But what God cares about is what's happening in people. And so the structure of what we do is based on the people who are here. If we don't have any people who are, for example, dancers, then guess what? We're not going to have dance in our ministry. And everyone will be appreciative of that. Right? Because have you ever seen someone try and do interpretive dance and they just really shouldn't? It's a bad interpretation, right? It doesn't come across well. And so Genesis needs to look like you, the people who are here. And why you are so important is because you bring a new identity a bigger identity, a more full identity to who we are. But you bring something. And what we are, the structure of who Genesis is, needs to be formed by the people who make it up. We're not going to fit you into our mold. Our mold is going to be based on how the Spirit of God works through the people who are here. And so structure must always submit to spirit. Last week we talked about relevance to culture is not optional. And it was the metaphor of fire. And the whole point of this didn't begin with culture. It began with God and the idea of communion. That God is the one who consumes who we are. He is a fire, a consuming fire. But then we talked about that fire is supposed to transform us. It is to make us into something else. Fire has that. It will always change whatever it engulfs. And even as Moses went to the burning bush that wasn't consumed, we saw that what God did consume was Moses. And he made him someone else. And God is making us someone else. And then who he makes us, that new creation, he drops us into the culture that we're in. And then we connect God to those people who are around us. But we have to do it in a way that they understand. We have to do it in the language that they speak. We have to do it in the culture that they live in. Otherwise, they won't understand it. It's not an option. It's how God has and always worked. He did it in Daniel, Joseph. He did it with Paul in Athens. And he does it with us in the world. Most clearly, he did it in Jesus becoming man. And so those were the four leading us up to today where we're going to be talking about Earth and the idea that creativity is the natural result of spirituality. And as we start, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a couple things as we're going through this. I want to ask that if you could have or do anything you wanted, what would it be? Now, if you have a phone with a little notepad, I want you to write it down. If you have a piece of paper, 
and you're still killing trees and doing things the old-fashioned way, you, you can do that as well. But I want you to put down this little note, okay? Just You don't have to write the question out. Write your answer. If you could have or do anything you wanted, what would it be? Okay, and you've got just, you know, 30 seconds to, to make that answer. A genie comes and you don't get three wishes, you just get one. And it's not for more wishes, right? It's just, this is what you can do. You can have or do anything you want, what's going to be. you got 20 seconds, what are you going to choose? Okay, keep that answer in your mind. And as you keep that answer in your mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to see a parable that Jesus gave. And it's a familiar parable, and we're going to see why we're using this metaphor of earth. In Matthew 13, verse 18, Jesus says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone, who hear, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worries the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so here Jesus gives a parable, and the parable is that of the the seed that falls onto the soil, and the soil, wherever it falls, represents our heart. And we see that the soil that it falls onto determines what's going to happen to it. And so we see that something is supposed to happen. The way we know what condition that heart is, is by what happens to it. Does it get choked out? Does it wither and dry? Or does it produce something? What is it producing? You see, the transformation of our character goes beyond becoming good soil. It's supposed to produce fruit. Let me say that again. The transformation of our character goes beyond becoming good soil to produce fruit. So what is the fruit? Let me ask you this. In your answer that you wrote down about what you thought, did your answer what you could have or if you could have anything or do anything, did your answer involve benefiting others Or was it just about you? In other words, was it a Ferrari? Was it a million dollars? Was it to have, you know, this? Was it about you? Or was it to provide clean water for the world and those who are in third world countries? What was it? You don't have to answer in case you'd be embarrassed and, you know, say, well, it was about me. You see, the idea of producing fruit is the idea of giving of what you have 
what you produce that benefits others. Right? If a, a grapevine produces grapes, the grapes are there so that we get to enjoy them. It's producing something that others benefit from. And, and so if you could have or do anything you wanted, is it helping others or is it just about you? Because your life isn't just soil. It's meant to produce fruit. And it's real important that we understand that dynamic. I, I've got another question I want you to write out. Okay, so again, get your phone out, get your pen or paper out. Here's the question. Write down what comes to your mind when you hear the word wicked. Maybe it's the Broadway play. I don't know. Maybe, But the word wicked... It could be a single word, murder. It could be a thought, a sentence. But just as quickly write down what your thoughts are when you hear that word or the meaning of the word wicked. And as you're jotting that down, we're going to go now to Matthew 25, verses 13 to 30. And Jesus is giving us another story, actually 14 to 30, another parable. So let's read this parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put in charge. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you hear what the master said to that last servant? What did he call him? Wicked and lazy. And so here is this this parable, this illustration that Jesus gives that you and I have been entrusted with something of value. And some of the translations, I love it, it says talent instead of, right, gold, with these talents. And the idea was like it was three months wages. It was a lot of money. It was a lot. You've been entrusted with a lot. Something of value God has given to you. And those who take what God has given to them and develop it and it produces more, they get this reward. And the more they produce, the more the reward they get. But the one who takes what has been given to them and does nothing with it is called wicked. Now, in your definition of wicked, did it include or did it contain not doing something that God has given you to do? Was that part of your definition of wicked? Or was it something else? You see, so many times our definition of something is wicked or, or what it has to do with what we do. And so what we want to do is stop doing bad things. And so now it's all about that sin management. We focus on these things and our character development now usually emphasizes the elimination of certain things. If I can stop doing these things. What it means to be holy then is to find those things that are bad and to stop doing them. But what we really see, this definition of wickedness isn't about stopping these certain things. It's about doing nothing at all with what God has given us to do. Because we all know that beyond being greedy you can actually be generous, right? So it's not, don't be greedy. Well, that, so where does that leave me? What impression do I leave on those around me? What imprint do I have on the world if I'm just not greedy? Well, yeah, look at Sam. He wasn't greedy. What was he? Well, he wasn't anything, but he wasn't greedy. But you see, if you're generous, that actually is something. And that's something you can be. That is something you can create. And so it's not the absence of things, it's the presence of things. You see, beyond lying, you can actually be truthful. So it's not just stop lying. Well, can you be a person who actually is truthful? Beyond pride, well, he's not proud, but is he humble? Does he have humility? Beyond slandering someone, well, they don't slander people, but do you encourage people? You see, we want to be the absence of these things, but what God is wanting to do is be the excess of things. You're not supposed to be just dirt. You're not supposed to be just good soil. Your good soil is supposed to produce fruit. You're not supposed to just not be greedy. You're supposed to be generous. 
one of the qualifications for an elder is hospitality. I love that. Because how many churches do you think they say, okay, we're going to find an elder? What do they usually look for? Well, you know, how knowledgeable are they in this and what things they do in this? But how many of them say, are they hospitable? Are they a nice person? Do they invite people? Are they someone who's friendly? Because it's not, well, yeah, that person's good. Yeah, they don't, you know, they don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't chew. They don't go out with girls who do, you know. I don't care what they don't do. What do they do? Because that shows what is happening. You see, creativity is the natural result of spirituality. I don't care how much you know. What are you producing? Across the country this morning, there are pastors preaching against sin, but has anyone ever developed an anger or the anger of God when it relates to the loss of human potential? Do we get mad? Are there, is there anyone preaching about the loss of human potential that people are not tapping into that they are not producing is our life just about not doing what is wrong what are we supposed to do and if we just focus on what we don't do we find we don't do anything and then how are we a light to the world we're a light to the world why what do you do well we don't do anything bad whoo great You go nowhere, but you go, you know. And you see that this idea of creativity is the idea of producing something in your life that is for others. And so if you could have or do anything you wanted, where do you go? I want this. I want that. I would want this. What about the world around you? What are you producing for the lives of those around us. Have we ever looked at human lives and felt our hearts break, not because of sins committed, but because of potential left unrealized? And I know sometimes parents, we can do this. When we see our children, we think, man, they have such a good heart, but they are so trapped in something else. Oh man, they have such potential. If they would just... Stop wasting it. Stop doing nothing about it. You see, you were not meant to go through life without leaving a trace. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. You were meant to leave an imprint on humanity. That's what true spirituality is. It's not about what you didn't do. It's about what you did do. It's about the impressions you made in the world and in the lives around you. And so we need to recognize these things. The more often we feel something without acting on it, the less likely 
we ever will act at all. In other words, if you just think about things, I, I think I'd like to do this, but you never do it, pretty soon you believe that thinking about it is the same as doing it. Well, I think about doing a lot of things. I think about doing a lot of good things. Great. You have a lot of great thoughts. And if all you do is think about it but never act on it, you will begin to believe that your thoughts about thinking it are the same as doing it. And you will trick yourself. Your brain will start to think, oh, yeah, we think about that a lot. Great. But if your thoughts don't do something, you're a seed that falls on thorns or the ground. You don't produce. And so we need to move things on. The more often we are inspired without taking action, the less likely we will do anything about that inspiration. How many of you had ideas, oh, I'd like to write a book? No, I can't write a book. Why? Well, because no one wants to hear what I have to say. I want to write a song. No, I can't write a song. No one wants to hear what I have to sing. Just another white guy singing a song. Man, I'd like to learn another language. I'm too old to learn a language. I can't do that. And we all have these inner hecklers. These people inside of us who once we have this idea we want to do it, that voice comes out. You guys ever have that voice? I want to do something. No, you can't do that. When I was at the Terra Nova uh, retreat conference a few weeks back, and the group that I was in, it was called the Creativity Tour, Dave Arcos was talking about this inner heckler that we have, and we all have it. And what he said is you need to give your inner heckler a name. You need to give it a name so that you can identify that inner heckler. And he named his after a fourth grade teacher. I named mine after an old employer I used to work for. His name was Dave. And the reason I named mine Dave is because I got this phone call from Dave one time. It was a voicemail. He left it there on my voicemail. And he just said, he was, guys look crazy. And he said, you're good for nothing. I can't believe, I, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. And he's cussing me out and he's doing this. And I'm like, I haven't talked to you in a long time, Dave. What, what you know, what is this about? And it was just out of, you know, if, if someone were, you know, to ask me about you, I tell him you're a loser and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh man. And I saved that voicemail for a long time because I thought I might legally need it in case he murdered me or something someday. You know, I'll have this straight. See, he's crazy. Um, But after a while, it's like, man, those words just started to, man, they were just so demeaning. They were so just degrading and made me feel so terrible, even though it was coming from a person who, you know, I disassociated with myself from. That became my inner heckler. And so now when I hear that voice, you know, I want to learn a new language. You can't learn a new language. Language, you can't even speak this language, you know. You, you can't learn a new language. What are you thinking? Okay, Dave. You'll never do that. You can't do that. Then what I do is I answer. I said, you're right up until now. Wait and see. 
And then what I need to do is take that first stroke of making an effort to do something. No matter if it's good or bad, I'm just going to make the effort and I'm going to produce something in Dave's face. And I don't care if it's good. I don't care if the pronunciation is wrong. I'm going to do something. Because I'm not going to let that voice have the say in my life. And you see, one of the things that happens more and more often when we are confronted with a dream that we have, an idea, if you could do anything you wanted, and it was going to be something that was connected to the heart of God and to the people, and you say, I want to do this, the first thing that might happen to you is you might become afraid. And isn't that what happened to this servant? In verse 25, he says, so I was afraid. And you see, what fear does is it paralyzes us. And it paralyzes us from doing anything. And fear is most dangerous when it looks like wisdom. Well, no, I'm not going to do this. I was afraid. And so I thought to myself, this is the best form of action. Yeah, this is prudent. Fear that looks like wisdom leaves you paralyzed and you end up doing nothing at all because you're afraid to do anything. And so you have this potential. God has given you this potential. He's given you this gold, this treasure. He's put it within you. Wickedness is doing nothing with it. That's what Jesus sees wickedness is. Oh, no, wickedness is, you know, lying. Wickedness is committing adultery. Wickedness is, oh, it's doing these things. Jesus says, you want to know what wickedness is? It's taking what I have given you, what I have entrusted you with, and doing nothing with it. That's wicked. That's lazy. And now Jesus' words are challenging us to be more, to do more, to act on these things, to actually be soil that produces a life that honors God, a life that benefits others, a life that is of value to the world and to the people around us, a life that actually creates something. So many times we think we're making the right choice by not doing something and we find out we're making no choice at all. We're just staying where we are. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. What are you doing right? What are you creating? What are you developing? What are you producing? Another thing that stops us is excuses. Man, I got a million excuses. Aren't we good with excuses? Especially with each other. You know, if my wife asks me, you know, you know, do you think we can clean out the garage? I can think of a half dozen things in a moment's notice. Oh, the heat. Oh, wait, the weather changed. Oh, we got something to go to today. Oh, I can't. I got to prepare for this. I, I can think of a million excuses, and I do the same thing with God. I've got these excuses. There's someone who you can become, but you make excuses why you can't. If I only had more time, 
I, I could do that. I could write that book. I could learn that language. If only I had more time. If only I had more money. I really can't do anything. I just don't have enough money. If I was married, then I'd be able to do these things. If I was married to someone else, then I'd be able to do those things. I mean, you have an excuse for everything. And pretty soon it's all about, well, I would if this was there and we make up excuses of not stepping in and doing it, not taking charge of the things that are in our possession. If I had more education, if I had the right, whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. And then that inner heckler, that Dave voice says, you can't do it. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You might as well do nothing. Pretty soon, yeah, I would do something if... But you say, true spirituality does something. True spirituality develops something. Because you can invest what God has given you somewhere in something or in someone. You can create not just works of art, not just music. You can create an environment of kindness. You can create and be a leader. You can create a place of comfort for those around you. There are a lot of things that you can create and you should create. And so... When you say, I just can't create anything, I just can't do anything, I can't produce something, you're, you're the guy saying, oh, God's given me something value, I know what I'll do, I'll just dig a hole. Okay, I'm going to put it in this hole. And then, hey, yeah, God, I, I put it there, because, you know, I don't want anything to happen to it. Wicked, lazy servant. So let's redefine how we think of the word lazy. Let, let's redefine what it means to be spiritual. Let's redefine what it means to bear fruit. And the reason we use the idea character with this earth because this is really what God is dealing with is our character. You see, a person doesn't know your character by what you don't do. Oh, they're a person of character. Why? Because they don't do these things. No, it's not just because you don't lie. It's because you're truthful. It's not just because you're not greedy. It's because you're generous. That's a person of character. No one knows what you're like if you do nothing. It's by what you do that people are able to get and understand your character. And so let's understand that character has to come from the things that we do. And that's constantly the understanding of Scripture. And you guys are familiar with some of these things. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I know you know this passage where Paul is talking about the whole armor of God. And as he's talking about these things, we see that there are certain things that are present here. And I don't know what you've heard about put on the whole armor of God. What does that mean to you, to put on the whole armor of God? What does that look like? 
How do you put these things on? But we see it's really pretty simple. Finally, verse 10, chapter 6 of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, now it's spiritual. It's in the heavenly realms. So we got to deal with it spiritually, right? So what are we going to do to deal with this spiritual realm? Well, he goes on and he tells us, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Okay, going to put on the spiritual armor so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after have you done everything to stand, everything to stand. All right, I'm ready to put on the armor. I'm going to stand against the spiritual element. Here it is. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. All right. Truth. All right, I'm going to put on the spiritual truth. Huh? Is, truth is truth. You're going to be a truthful person, guess what? That's going to be what holds you together. You mean just telling the truth and being a truth, truthful person is spiritual? Uh-huh. You mean it, it, it's a spiritual act? Uh-huh. Do you get it? No, it's got to be something different. I need to, I need to pray about truthful things. No, just tell the truth, Okay. Be a truthful person. Oh my gosh, if we were all truthful people, the lives are that would be produced, the good that would be produced from our lives, how many things are you not truthful in? You want to stand against this spiritual attack? You want to be a person of character? Be a person, person who tells the truth. A person who's truthful. Well, let's go on. There's got to be more. There is. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is that? Be a person who does what's right. These spiritual things sound like a lot of practical things that have to do with character, don't they? How do you put a breastplate of righteousness on? Well, I'm going to believe I'm in Jesus and I'm righteous. No, you're supposed to do and live what is right. That's going to help you to live that spiritual life being a truthful person, being a person who does what's right. Are you a person who's dishonest? Are you a person who uses people's situations to get what you want? Guess what? You're not a spiritual person. Are you a person who's truthful and, and does things that are good and helpful? Guess what? You're a spiritual person. And guess what? It, it is putting on the armor of God. He goes on, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It means you're going to be at peace with other people. You're going to leave, live a peaceful life. Are you contentious? You see, I start thinking about these things of character, and I start thinking about my own life, and even people I know, people who are, quote, spiritual, but don't live a peaceful life. They're contentious with everybody. They're contending with everybody. And they're always arguing and they're always argumentative. And you call yourself spiritual. But where is the character 
that is there. In addition, verse 16, to all this, take up the shield of faith, what you believe, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And again, I, I love to preface these things. The, the faith, salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I know there are some people, they, they have a belt, and on, they had a belt holster made so that they could put their Bible in it, and on their Bible it says the sword, you know, and this is the word of God. And I understand the idea behind that, but remember, when Paul is writing this, they didn't have that available. There was no access to the scriptures like we have today. There was no one with a holster Bible that said the sword, you know, and here's my sword. It's a great looking idea, but it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about character and he's talking about the gospel. The word of God, which is the gospel, which is what we believe in, which is our faith in, which gives us our salvation that produces lives that are truthful, lives that live right, and lives that are peaceful with the people around us. It's not about carrying your Bible like a sword and whipping it out and throwing verses at people. I'm just telling you. And I'm not putting the Bible down. I'm just telling you that's not producing the life. That's not what spirituality is. I know a lot of people who can quote scripture who aren't spiritual. Spirituality comes from creating the life, the character that influences the people around them, the world around them, so that now your life is actually something that is of value. You create beautiful art. You create beautiful music. You create kindness. You create leadership. You create healing relationships. Those are things we create and that's the natural result of spirituality. And so this morning, as we conclude our core values, what we want you to understand is that God has placed a treasure in each one of you. It is of value. It is like five bags of gold. He has given you that lamp and he says, okay, if you can do anything, have anything you want, what do you want to do? Because I have given you this ability to create a life that will influence people and the world around you. What are you doing with this value? Well, I'm going to bury it, I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to maybe buy some stuff with it for myself and I'm going to kind of take care of it. And Jesus says, that's wicked. It's wicked that God would entrust something to you and you not do anything with it. It's lazy that God would give you a treasure and you disregard it and it produces nothing. God has given you not only the treasure but the ability to produce something with it. You know, it's amazing in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates all the animals, it says that he brought the animals to Adam 
to see what he would name them. And I was thinking about that, and, you know, I always thought that God told Adam to name the animals, but it doesn't say that. It says he brought them before him to see what he would name them. Isn't that interesting? And what's more interesting is God created him, but then he said, you name him. I want to see what you'll name him. Think of that. Think if you made something. If you were a painter and you did this painting and it took you, you know, days, weeks, months to paint and you finish the painting, would you go up to someone's, what would you want to call this? Or better yet, how many here have kids or a pet? Right? Kids or a pet? Trying to cover all the bases. <laughs> and you name your pet, right? You name your kid, okay? I want to hear, what did you name your pet? On the count of three, shout out the name of your pet. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Okay. Now I want to hear the name of three, what you named your child. One, two, three. Uh, you know, there was a lot more excitement about the pets. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but there it was, okay? <laughs> Yay for my pet! <laughs> yeah, my kid, yeah. <laughs> what would happen if you, as a mom and dad, you know, went through and, well, you as a mom, gave birth to this child, and you as a dad rooted her on, and then that child comes out, what would it, what would it be for you to say, to someone else, hey, you want to name my kid? Won't that be weird? I mean, there was so much stress in naming our children. We're like, what do we name them? Because this is going to be their name for the rest of their life. And what if it rhymes like something terrible, you know, and the kids at school make fun of them and it's just... And so we were thinking about it. You wouldn't do that unless you really loved someone and said, hey, will you name my kid? God creates the animals and then he sends them before Adam just to see what he would name them. Why? Because Adam had the ability to take this thing that God had done and give it a name. And we don't know what he named him, right? Our names aren't the names that Adam gave him. You know, we call it a zebra because it means wild horse. But I don't know if Adam called it a zebra. But what a trip. God put the animals before him to see what he would name them. Why? Because he gave Adam, he gives us the ability to take what he has created and give it a name and give it meaning and give it purpose and give it value. You have been given a treasure by God and he trusts you with it because you are the one person who can bring value to it. You are the one person who can bring God that glory. God gave Adam dominion. That was his glory. God gave him that control. He says, this is yours. Make something of it. The glory of God that now is supposed to reside on us is taking that dominion and making something of it that represents the Creator who loves, cares, and died for us. And so may we recognize this morning this value 
This core value that we hold is to make sure that we never stop helping you to recognize the value that God has given you and the potential that is in you. And that's why I would much rather talk about this kind of wickedness than the wickedness everyone else seems to want to preach about. Because this is what Jesus calls wicked. Oh yeah, we want to talk about sin. We want to blast sin. We want to blast sin. And Jesus says, you want to know what's wicked? God putting a treasure in you and you doing nothing with it. And so may we take the treasure that God has given us and may we invest it in the people, the world around us to make it a better place, not just for our own purposes, so that the master can say to us, well done. So he can say to us just what he said to them, enter into the happiness. Let's pray. Father, our minds get trapped so many times in the way we've heard things taught or are spoken about. Maybe the way we've heard how you feel, what you think is wicked, that we've actually misinterpreted your words or come up short of fully understanding what you mean. We, we so many times have these cliches and we, we have an idea of what spirituality looks like and it looks like a, a preacher holding a Bible and we think that's spiritual and here you tell us truthfulness, righteousness, peacefulness, that these things are a part of true spirituality. This is a part of our character. That wickedness is not just about doing sins, that wickedness is about not recognizing the value that you have given to each of us as human beings. And Lord, may we stop listening to that inner heckler, that voice that is telling us, you can't do that. May we give no place to that voice. May we say, you were right until now, but wait and see. And with that, may we take a step into creating around us, Lord, these things that will produce fruit. May we invest in people and in kindness and in our leadership that is helpful to others. May we seek to create and recognize that we can create. You've told us, what will you name this? You have brought life in front of us and saying, what will you call this life? What will this life look like? How will you paint your life? How will you create this future? What will you make of this treasure that I have given to you? How will you invest it? May we not hold back. May we not let fear rob us and paralyze us and keep us from doing anything. May we stop making excuses saying, I can't, I can't. May we recognize that when we say we can't or we're not good enough, what we're doing is looking to you and saying, you didn't do enough to give me the ability to do something. And you're saying, you're 
wicked and lazy if you do nothing with what I have given you. Lord, it seems like some people have been given 30 bags of gold and maybe we've only been given a few coins, but with a few coins we can invest and make a few more and it can make a few more. And if we would just do something with what you've given us, we would be amazed at what you could do, how you could take that little and like the fish and the breads you could multiply it and feed the multitudes around us that the little you've given us is enough to change the world and the lives of the people around us God may we recognize the potential and Lord there are some of us here who can see potential in others and we know that they are so valuable and so gifted in certain ways. May we encourage them. May we not stop short of being people of encouragement. It's not enough not to slander. Help us to be people who would encourage. It's not enough to not be greedy. May we be people who are generous, generous with our words, generous to to help people understand the value that is in them. May we invest in people so that we could see your work grow, so that this soil would be good, but it wouldn't remain soil. It would produce. And so, Lord, may creativity produce this kind of spirituality so that people can see who you are through how we live. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond to just some of these things that maybe God is speaking into our hearts with a couple of songs as Alex leads us. If you want to respond and stand, you can stand. If you want to Just bow your head, you can. If you want to raise your hands, you can. But let's let our lives respond. You know, when I used to sing and lead in worship, I can remember going to church on a Sunday morning and just feeling like crap, truthfully. Just feeling terrible. Being in arguments with my wife, with my children, not liking how things went. But when I started singing, it seems like I was taken hold of something, that God was able to take hold of me and change the way I feel and change my perspective. And so let's allow this time of singing not to be something that we just see or listen to, but may it be something we participate in. And let's let God take that treasure that maybe we've been burying and start digging it up. And say, okay, let's get this out and let's invest this. And let's allow this time to be a time where we make that turn and that change. And we actually take a step. Say, okay, I'm going to invest this voice I have right now in these words to you as a, a sign and investment. I know I don't like singing in that inner heckler saying, don't sing, this is stupid. It doesn't change anything. God says, don't be wicked, don't be lazy, invest.
see what it'll do to turn us around. So let's sing.